um, conclude a series this week um, called We Can Be Heroes. So we've been doing, um, this is the fourth Sunday. It didn't plan to be a series. Uh, it wasn't a series that we got in mind, but on Father's Day, we did something called We Can Be Heroes, and it's kind of stemmed from there, just felt God speaking into our lives about us as a generation being called to be heroes of the faith. And so it's just flowed through that we've done a series, and like all good movie franchises, um, they always push the hero thing a little bit too far, don't they? They always do one movie too far, and you're just like, you shouldn't have done that last movie. It was not worth the millions of pounds you spent on it. So I'm hoping this last sermon isn't like that. That you're not sat there at the end going, you should have finished after three. A trilogy would have been adequate. Um, Let's not push for the fourth. So we're going to push for a fourth and hope that it's okay. But the the launch pad of this series has really been Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, this amazing book. Um, If you're ever feeling discouraged or feeling like you want to kind of give up, then dive into the book of Hebrews because that's what this book is all about. Uh, The writer, uh, scholars dispute who the writer was. Uh, We're not fully sure who it was, but we're pretty sure it was written to uh, Jewish believers who had come to accept who Jesus was as their Messiah, the Messianic Jews, uh, who who were being tempted to pull away from that faith because of what they were experiencing, persecution and oppression. And they were tempted to say, we're going to go back to the old ways of doing things. And the writer says, don't be tempted to go back. There's nothing wrong with the stuff in the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with the law. If it leads you to Jesus, then do what you need to do to get to Jesus. But Jesus is the answer and the focus. And so in this chapter 11, he's writing and saying, don't give up on the faith. We're called to be heroes. Let me tell you some of the heroes. Let me tell you about some of the heroes. And he writes about Abraham and Moses. And he writes about Joshua and all these heroes of the faith that have gone before them. And he says, if they can do it, we can do it. If they can be heroes, we can be heroes. And by verse 32 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, he says this. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. Isn't that an amazing write-up of some people? Wouldn't you love to have that said about you? By faith. Not by good looks, not by talent, but by faith. These people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. So last week, you might remember if you were here, uh, if you weren't, then you can catch up online. All of our sermons are online. Uh, And last week, we looked at the feeding of the 4,000 and how by faith, actually, what God was doing was deepening the disciples' faith, saying, circumstances around you might suggest this is impossible, but I'm asking you to deepen your faith. I'm asking you to deepen your faith, but deeper than your belief and your convictions. Would you like that? You're welcome. It's my son, so he gets away with quite a bit. Um, I'm asking you to deepen your faith from your belief and your convictions. Belief and convictions is often shaped around what we see and what we experience. But I want you to tap into your faith. So your belief would say feeding these 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few small fish is impossible. Tap into your faith. Trust God. If he says step out, then he says I'm also going to provide. So often we find circumstances say something about God that simply isn't true. And we need to dig deep into our faith, knowing that God always acts in complete consistency with the content of his character. Thank you, mate. And our faith, that place where God says, I want you to act, can be really easy when we're sat in church, can't it? 
can be really easy when we're sat here talking about God and, and, and we're in this atmosphere of worship and we start saying, yes, come on, let's tap into our faith. We can do this thing for God. We can be the, the people that God's calling us to be. But then when Monday kicks in, we're like, maybe that's a little bit harder than we actually thought. Maybe the reality of this life of faith actually is, is not as easy as we make it sound on a Sunday morning. And stuff starts getting tough and we have to walk through trials and we have to walk through battles and we say, God, I, I'm not sure you're that good. Can we be real in church? Maybe we say, God, you're not actually who I thought you were. But God, what I signed up for is not actually what I'm experiencing. That maybe when you signed up to this thing called following Jesus, somebody said to you, it's going to be the greatest decision you've ever made. Your life is going to be full of blessing. You're going to know the presence of God. And you're just like, I've never felt anything in my life. All I've ever gone through since making that decision is struggle. And I can count the amount of blessings on one finger, let alone one hand. And you're like, God, I'm not sure you're as good as you say you are. In fact, I want to go to trading standards. Because what I bought into is not what I'm being delivered on. It just doesn't seem that fair. You don't seem that good, God. I want to talk this week around the title of being battle ready. We're going to talk about being battle ready. See, every superhero has a fight, don't they? Every superhero has to go through the battle. Every superhero has to take on the enemy. How many superhero films have you seen where uh, if you're keen on movies, you stay to the end of the credits? You know what I mean? That post-credit scene that so often happens in superhero films. Uh, and, and there's a scene that is hidden at the end of the credits. And it's so often based around something where that superhero or something has happened that's been the battle through that story. You think it's ended. And then that scene suggests, no, no, this hasn't ended. It's only just started. And so the enemy that's just been killed, you see a hand in the rubble and it starts to twitch. Or you, you, you discover that they've got a long lost son they never knew they had that's inherited all of the power. It's a scene like that at the end of the movie that keeps you, keeps you knowing that there's going to be a battle ahead. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Judges 3. Judges 3, an Old Testament book. It's the seventh book, so you can go to Genesis and flick forward seven books. Judges chapter 3. And, and this book covers a really chaotic part of Israel's history. See, Joshua's been leading the people of God and they, they come into the promised land, the, the land that God has, has said he's going to promise and he's been promising since Abraham and he said to Abraham, you're going to have land and you're going to have descendants and God comes through on his promise and says, here's the land and your descendants are having this land and it is theirs. But once they've been living in this land of Canaan, this promised land, large portions of it remain possessed by other tribes. And these other tribes are, are, are interesting because they, they don't worship the God of Israel. They have their own gods and their nature gods and, uh, and they're gods that, that they worship and, and, and say that if we worship these gods, then they'll, they'll give us good weather and our crops will be good and we'll be able to eat and our animals will be healthy and our livestock will be good. And so they worship these nature gods. And over a period of time, the, the nation of Israel, their, their loyalty to the living God starts to falter. And they start to be attracted to these other gods. And they start to mix the worship of, of, of their god into the worship of these other gods. And they become increasingly more immoral. Fascinating if you read the book of Judges, that actually as their worship of God declines, their treatment of each other declines. And actually their treatment of those that are on the fringes of society 
those that are respected less in society becomes even worse. And so God brings these 12 judges to rule over Israel, these 12 heroes of the faith, and they are unlikely heroes. In fact, from the Hebrews 11 passage, we've just read about some of them. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Samson, Jephthah, unlikely heroes that God raises up and says they're going to rule over this nation and they're going to judge over this nation of Israel to lead you, hence judges. But then they're really unlikely people. One of them was an assassin. Another one was a sexually promiscuous man. One of them broke all the rules of hospitality. They were imperfect, but they surrendered to God and God used them. It's encouraging, isn't it? Okay. It's good. <laughs> Good to know we're in a place of encouragement where God uses unlikely heroes this morning. Thanks for your overwhelming participation. But each of these judges, they die, and what happens is there's this line that gets repeated through judges, and it says, the people then did what was right in their own eyes. Wow, what a dangerous phrase. That the peop- This judge dies, and then the, the people did what was right in their own eyes, and they just become increasingly, increasingly immoral, worse and worse. And so if you found, have you found Judges, has that given you enough time to find the book of Judges? You're in it and you've lost it and now you're going to find it again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Let me just read a few verses for you. It says this. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Cana. He did it. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidians, the Hivites, living in Le- the Lebanon mountains, from Mount Baal to Mount Hermon, sorry, from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebohamath. They were, the, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Can- Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Marmites. Goodness me. They were the ones you liked or you didn't like. <laughs> They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Guys, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that your grace runs throughout the pages of Scripture. Lord, we can even read verses like this that seem a little bit uh, discouraging. Uh, Lord, your grace is there. Jesus, your presence is there. And so, Lord, I just ask that your grace be here this morning, your presence be here this morning, to help us be all that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Parenting is a lot of fun, sometimes. Parents are looking at me with this kind of like, really? Um, a few nights ago, I say a few nights ago, people that, like to, that speak a lot, we say it was a few nights ago. It could have been a few weeks ago. I lose track of time. It was a period in the past that wasn't that long ago. Uh, putting Bella to bed, and Bella has this delay tactic. She stood there, there looking like a little princess, but she has this beautiful delay tactic, um, which Carl will attest to, that um, it makes it sound like there's something wrong when actually there really isn't. It's just delaying going to bed. And she'll say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Or Mommy, I'm hungry. She's smiling because she knows. Every night... Daddy, I'm hungry. And it's not like I'm hungry, I'm going to wait till breakfast. This is, I am hungry and I'm going to waste away if I don't have something to eat right now. And so we try and kind of, we know that it's going to happen. So we're trying to prepare for it now because um, it sometimes doesn't end well. Um, And we try and start off healthy. So you're like, well, there's grapes and there's bananas, there's apples. Um, and, and if it's no to all of that, then it's like, well, there's some cereal or there's some crackers. Uh, and if she's no to all that, then in my head, what I really want to be saying is, well, if you're that hungry, you'll eat something. Something we've offered. If you were really that hungry, you'd eat something we've offered. So clearly you're not that hungry. 
But the other week, I did something that I really regret. And it may be traumatic for Bella to even hear it now. Because we went through the whole list of food. And in my head, I'm just thinking, well, if you're really that hungry, you'd have something. You know, grapes is like everybody's favorite. Who doesn't like grapes? You'd eat something. Saying no to everything. So I looked at her and I went, Bella, I know what you want. I know what you want. You want the biggest, most decadent, delicious, oozing chocolate gato in the world. And she looked at me and just went, she did this true story. And she went, yes, daddy, that's what I want. And I just looked at her and went, tough, we haven't got one. Get to bed. Now, I'm not saying that is good parenting. I'm not saying that's what you should do. Because actually what happened was puppy dog eyes and burst into tears and we had to then try and console her for the next half an hour trying to settle her down to get into bed because I'd, I'd led her and built her up and then just dropped her down. Not good parenting. But why do I, why do I tell you that story? I, I just wonder if we ever think following Jesus is like that. I ever wonder whether we think we've signed up to this thing called Christianity and as I said earlier, maybe we're told that it's going to be the greatest decision of our life. Maybe we're told that it's going to be blessing. Maybe we're told that it's going to change our life. All stuff that's really true. But maybe we conclude from that, that means that from now on everything's going to be great and easy and hunky-dory. But I just wonder whether that is true. That God is meant to be this good, good father. But we're still struggling with that issue. Maybe you've been praying for something for years and you're like, God, why won't you take it away? God, why am I struggling? Why is that circumstance still against me? God, you've broken me and yet I'm still struggling. And I've even been humble enough to ask other people to pray with me and still the situation reigns or still the temptation is there or still the struggle and the fight is right in front of me. God, why won't you take it away? You're meant to be a good, good father. I'm not sure, God, you're that good anymore. In fact, I think you're more like John who promises a chocolate gatto and then says, tough, go to bed. I can imagine the Israelites felt something of this when they entered this land called the promised land. God has promised it to Abraham hundreds of years and then there's been this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. A whole generation had to die off before they could come into this land. And here they are. Can you imagine the excitement, the enthusiasm, the joy? This is going to be amazing. This is the promised land, but it's not that perfect. It's not as perfect as you might imagine because there's still a battle to be had. There is still an enemy. In fact, there are many enemies occupying the land. And if you read Judges 3 verse 1, actually the enemies that are in the land have been left there by God. He says, he left them there to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Hang on, God. I thought you were on our side. I thought you were for us. I thought this was the promise. I thought it was blessings from now on. Surely you're not promising us a chocolate gatto and not delivering on it. How many of you have ever stepped into a moment in your life with such excitement, enthusiasm and joy, knowing there's something good right in front of you, then all of a sudden it's interrupted by an unforeseen, unexpected circumstance. Here we have a nation who have been led by Moses. Then Joshua comes in and they struggle with that transition and they realize that Joshua is the right man to be leading us. And they've been all the way, God has been telling them that I've got this land for you. 
and it is flowing with milk and honey and it's got rest and peace written all over it. In fact, if you go to the end of Joshua, Joshua 21, the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he had sworn to that ancestors. So this land that he's promised them, I'm promising you peace and rest when you get into this land. You've got rest on every side. I just wonder if sometimes we hear something that God has promised and what we actually hear is not what God has actually promised. Because here God has been saying, I've got, I'm sworn it to all your ancestors that this land is going to be full of peace and rest. But clearly God is working to a different dictionary. Because in the middle of the rest, there is still struggle. And when he gave them peace, it's in the middle of war. God, I'm not fully sure you understand what peace and rest actually means. And as we read on through the book of Judges, we see that God has left them in this land and it is filled with enemy, it is filled with conflict. And this land of peace and rest is filled with struggle and pain and he did it on purpose. Hardly seems like peace and rest. But God knew, you see, that this new generation, this new era were rising up. And they had been born hearing of all the stories of what he had done to the former generation. How he'd, he'd led Moses and, and that whole gang out of, uh, of slavery in Egypt. How when they came across this, this, this sea, this red sea, they, they didn't know what to do and God opened the way for them. They heard those stories. But the trouble was, were they going to know that God for themselves? Oh, we can hear the stories, but do we know that God for ourselves? And so God has left them with an enemy in the land. Why? Well, verse 2 of Judges 3, it says, He did this only to teach them warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. See, I read that verse and I, I start to get a little bit, Oh, God, what are you doing? See, one thing I can think we so often struggle with in our life is why God works the way he does. What we're busy asking God for is peace and rest. And he has promised that. And we're saying, God, why have I not got that? But what actually God is doing is deepening our faith and getting us battle ready. He's getting us prepared to fight. And so often the areas that God uses us to get us battle ready, we don't think that's what he's doing. In fact, we start praying against the areas that God is getting us battle ready. And we start saying, God, this is of Satan because this is coming against me and this is uncomfortable and I'm not happy. God, will you come and remove this obstacle? Will you come and remove this struggle? Because if it was you, it would be full of peace and rest. And actually what God's saying is, I'm making you battle ready, so I'm not going to remove it. And we're there going, God, will you remove it? Will you remove it? And he's going, no, I don't think you quite understand why it's there. And we're like, God, will you remove it? You're meant to be a good God. Will you remove it? This is clearly of Satan. And God says, I'm not going to remove it. For the same reason there was an enemy in the land, I'm not going to remove it. And so often we start praying, will you deal with this God? Will you make my life so easy that I don't have to exert any effort? And that's the reality of the prayer. Church, can I encourage you this morning? There is never going to be a moment in your life where there is not a battle coming. And you're like, John, that's not an encouragement. We came to church this morning to be built up. But let me tell you, the reality is that even if you have just won a great battle, that battle is not the end of your story. In fact, the reward for winning a great battle is an even greater battle. Do you know why? Why? Because God has just proved that he is faithful. 
And God has just proved through that last battle that you are strong enough and he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. So the next battle that comes along, you can go, he was faithful in this one. That one just gone, he was faithful. And so this one that I'm coming towards right now, God, I know you're going to be faithful. And I know who you are and I know who I am in you. So I can face this battle with all the faith and the confidence standing in you that I need. That's right, the reward for a great battle is an even greater battle. See, God left an enemy in the land for the Israelites because they had to be ready to fight. They had to know they had the strength to defeat the enemy when it was needed. If all they had was peace and rest in their land by their definition, what would happen when something or someone came against them? They'd crumble. They'd say, I can't cope with this. I'm just going to lie down and die. Because they'd got no battle experience. They'd got no understanding of how to defeat the enemy. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. Can I say there are some in this place and you are only further on in your journey with God because of the battles that you've faced. You are only deeper in your faith because of the courage and the resolve and the faith you have to fight the good fight because of the fights you've been through. I love that phrase, fight the good fight. Paul says it in, in the New Testament. He's, he's writing to the man that he saw converted, the man that he's been mentoring, Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 6.12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you've been called when you made the good confession. These are among some of the last words that Paul writes in the whole of his ministry. It's the end of his ministry. And he's writing to this young leader, Timothy. And he says, fight the good fight. It's always, always baffled me. Why is it a good fight? How, how is it a good fight? Because it's the fight of faith. It says, fight the good fight of faith. See, it's not a fight to get out of bed in the morning. It's a fight to rest in God. It's not a fight to keep all the powers of youth, but a fight to keep the power of God. See, this race is run against the temptation that will make us doubt the goodness of God. That the battle would say, God's not good anymore. God's left you, he's deserted you, he's forsaken you. Hang on, his word said, no, but circumstances are saying this. And so we have to fight the good fight. We have to fight to stay satisfied in God through every season of our life. Through the season of being single, of being a teenager, of being, even if that singleness stays throughout the whole of your life. Whether then the next season shifts to screaming kids or rebellious teenagers or a dodgy hip and loss of sight and can't hear anymore. Through every season of our life, it is a battle to say, God is good, no matter what your age. See, Paul is an old man writing these words. Timothy is receiving these words as a young man. Fight the good fight. See, the enemy remains in the land because through every stage of our life, we're going to face the battles but with each battle we face, we can say, I no longer need to fear that because I took that ground in the last battle. I don't need to go back over that ground. I don't need to fear, God, that you're not going to come through for me, that you're not going to provide for me. That battle that I had in the teenage years, because I've done that battle. God, you proved yourself faithful in so many ways. So I, I can have the faith now to know you are who you say you are. Paul says it again in 2 Timothy 4.7. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, Paul isn't getting into fighting a bad fight. The enemy would have you fight a bad fight. But Paul says, I am going to fight the good fight. The enemy would have you 
be reminded of all your failures, why you don't measure up, why you can't do what God's calling you to do. That's where the enemy would like to have the fight. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. It means finishing the race, keeping the faith. And I just want to take a moment now to honor those that have been in this church for years. Or maybe you've not been in this church for years, but you've been following Jesus for years. And I mean decades. I'm not talking a few years. I mean decades you've been following Jesus. Senior Christians in our church family who have faithfully, week after week, modeled what it is to be here, to serve, and to invest in those around you. Can I honor you because you're the reason the church is built? The church is built on the faithful few who stay, who commit to be and remain year in, year out, who take on the battles and say, I'm not going to let that shift my heart. I'm not going to let that cause me to stumble. I'm going to fight the good fight and I'm going to let it be good and I'm going to honor God and I'm going to invest in those around me. Can I honor you? Because very little of, of what we're building here is aimed at that age group. You might have figured that out. You're not asking for it louder. You're not asking for, for modern songs, but you also know the reason you are here is not because you're fighting a battle for yourself, you're fighting a battle for the next generation. And that is why I honor you. Because one of the, the failures of Israel in the book of Judges is that after Joshua died, if you look at Judges 2 verse 10, I don't think these are coming up on the, they, they might come up on the screen at some point. Uh, Phil, can we have the scriptures on the screen? Is that possible? Cheers, mate. Uh, Judges 2.10, it says that after that, a whole generation had gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Judges 2 verse 10. See, a whole generation had, had grown up uh, serving God. Joshua's generation had served God and, and known God. But then that generation, it says, gathered to their ancestors. They died. And then another whole generation grew up not knowing who God was or what he could do. Thank you for fighting for the next generation. Thank you for fighting to worship God when it is not your taste. Thank you for modeling joy, love, and acceptance, making sure that the next generation are not going to grow up not knowing God. The generation that are sat in here, that are maybe just a decade younger than you, the generation that are sat over there. And it's not just the senior Christians, it's the job of those of us in our 20s and 30s to model something to the generation coming underneath. That's why we're investing in youth work. Because we don't want to see a generation grow up that do not know God. I honor you senior Christians in this church, I honor you because the battles you have faced and are facing will allow us, those of us that are coming behind you, that are walking in your footsteps, it helps us understand the fight. It helps us understand the battle we're in. It helps us see how to fight the good fight. And we then get to pass that on to the next generation. So in another 40 years, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a generation that grows up saying, God, you are faithful to that grandfather generation that grandmother generation you were faithful to my mother and father generation you're going to be faithful to us we can step out and take this battle and in 40 years time this church goes from strength to strength because of the example that we have made to fight the good fight see this this church is only one generation away from not knowing God Israel proved that church we are heroes when we realize we're in a battle and we need to be battle ready and we need each other to stand alongside because there's some in this place that don't realize the battle they're in is not because God is not for them. The battle they're in is not because they are unloved. The battle they're in is not because they've done something wrong or there's some habitual sin in their life. The battle they are in is because God is deepening their faith. 
And for those of you that have journeyed through that and have realized that actually, God, sometimes you're not going to remove those things from us. We can journey alongside them and say, he still loves you, even though your circumstances suggest otherwise. He's still for you. He's actually doing a really deep work in you. And he's doing it because he loves you and he wants you to know him more. And there's a danger that a generation will rise up who do not know that they're in a battle, who do not know that there's an enemy, who do not know they need to prepare to fight and learn how to fight. And the battle they're going through right now is not designed to kill them, but to make them stronger. See, I read Judges 2.10, and I, I, I look at it and I say, well, it's very easy to blame the older generation. I'd like to consider myself still young. And I, I consider myself still young, uh, and I can read that and I think, oh, I'm going to blame the older generation. I'm going to blame the older generation because they should have trained up the younger generation, shouldn't they? Okay, I understand that. But I wonder if there's also a younger generation that can be so comfortable watching other people take on the fight that we stay where it's safe. And we say, no, you, you guys do that. You've, you've got that sword. You've got that nailed. You, you, you fight that battle. We'll just stay here where it's nice and comfortable. Church, there's a cry to everybody in this room, young and old, whether you've been a follower for Jesus for 40 years or four days. We need to live our life in such a way that we are both modeling and learning what it means to fight for God. That throughout the journey of our life, these two trail, uh, rail tracks run side by side saying, I am learning what it means to fight for God. That I'm going to continually be in a place where I need to remember I am in a battle and I am learning what it means to fight for God. But alongside that is I'm going to model what it means to fight for God. I'm going to model to those people around me that actually I know I'm in a fight and I'm going to say, this is what it means to fight. This is what it means to be battle ready. This is what it means to understand the enemy. This is what it means to trust God. Because actually that's what God's doing in these verses in, Josh, in Judges 3. He's teaching the people to be battle ready, but he's also teaching the people to trust him. Look at uh, verse three of Judges, uh, sorry, verse four of Judges three. It says, "There were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which He had given their ancestors through Moses." Do we really trust God? I mean, really trust God? The evidence of our trust is seen in our obedience. See here, He left those enemies in the land to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands. Am I going to trust God fully? Well, the evidence of that trust is that I am going to obey God. Have you ever played that trust fall game? I'm not going to play it now, just in case this illustration goes horribly wrong. But there's that game, you know, where somebody stands with their back to you and then you're stood there and, and, and you say, when I say now, fall. Do you know the game I mean? Yeah? And the person's always like this. They're like, oh, I nearly went that time. Well, I'm going to be ready next time. Don't worry, I'll be ready. I'll be ready. You, you say go and I'll fall. No, I, just, I can't do it. Have you, have you ever had that where the person just cannot trust you? And they cannot trust you. They will not obey what you say. You say fall now and they just can't do it because they don't trust you. They can't be obedient to the request of the other person because they simply don't trust them. Just think about the other reasons we don't obey people in this world. People in authority because we don't agree with their, their, their vision of the future. Because we don't feel that they're competent at the job or, or we don't believe that their motives are pure, that they've got our best at heart. We don't trust them. Therefore, we do not obey them. The only way that person is going to fall backwards is if they learn to trust. 
The only way that person's going to obey when that other person says, fall now, is if they get to that place where they say, I'm going to battle against my pride, I'm going to battle against my fear, and I'm going to learn to trust. And through that trust, I will obey. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands. Do we really trust God? Because the difference between the people of this world, whom we trust but then they let us down, and the trust we have in God is that the Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. That's what his word says in Psalm 145. And so am I going to let this battle that, that confronts me determine my trust or what God says about him in his word? It's about trust. And if we do not face any battles, we do not need to learn to trust. And the battle's different for each one of us. For some of us, we haven't learned to trust God in our relationships, and so we find ourselves continually with the wrong person or with the wrong type of people. For others, it's economic, and we've not begun to trust God with our finances, and so we live this closed, tight life, or the opposite is we live a, a flamboyant, flashy life where we splash out above and beyond what we can afford because we don't trust God's best for our life. Everyone's battle's different. Everybody's battle is different that they're facing. And you wonder why you continually struggle with the same battle over and over again, even though you've prayed and you've had others pray. And the reason is that God has not removed them because you will not overcome them by him simply removing them. You will overcome them when you trust him and rise above them. I'm learning on my walk with Jesus that it is less about him removing the obstacles and the battles that I face and instead him working on my heart to trust him in the face of the battles that I face. That no matter where we fight, no matter where that battle is, whether it's at the start and we're really hoping this battle isn't as bad as the last one, or whether we're in the middle of it and we're there thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to get through this battle, or whether we're at the end and we're thinking, there may be a victory here. Do we trust God in every single stage of that battle? Do we trust him and say, God, you love me in the middle of that battle when I'm not sure I'm going to come through it and I've got to trust you and I'm going to obey you? Do we trust him as much there as when we're at the end and we're sensing victory when it's really easy to raise our hands and glorify God's goodness? Do we really trust God? And then this passage ends really quite depressingly in verse 5 and 6. And Ian, do you want to come and play for us just to lull these beautiful people into thinking I'm finished? And it says, the Israelites lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. It's funny, isn't it? But it can be really easy to conclude that God, if you'd have only made my life easier, I could have done so much more for you. If I hadn't have had so much challenging stuff to deal with, I could have glorified you. I could have worked for you. I could have done so much more for you. But here is a generation who have grown up who have not known what it is to fight. They've not known what it is to be in the middle of a battle. They've not been battle ready. And so they were living in the promise without the scars and the failures and the trust that their forefathers had in God. See, there's something... We need to learn about our walk with Jesus. It's not the battles that will make you weaker and less effective for God. It is the lack of battles that will make you weaker and less effective for God. 
For some, the battles are there to build into you a resolve, a strength and a trust so we can overcome. So we can be the generation that Israel should have been in that moment. You see, what God does with the nation of Israel, he is not saying, I don't believe this is what God did with the nation of Israel. These are my favourites. I'm going to prove that these are my favourites. Everybody else, you haven't quite measured up. That's not what God was doing with the nation of Israel, I don't believe. What God was saying was, I'm going to raise up a group of people that are so for me, that love me and honour me, that hold me in the highest esteem, glorify me and worship me. And the rest of the world will see just how much God blesses that and how amazing this nation is and how the love they have for each other and the love they have for, the, for their God. And all the other nations in the world will go, we've got to worship the God that they worship. We'd be crazy not to. So God's not pitting one nation off against another. He's not saying, I love these more and I don't really love those. What he's actually doing is creating for himself a witness that the people on earth would know who God is. He's raising up a people who would worship him regardless of the battle, regardless of the circumstances. He's asking for a generation of heroes. He's saying, is there a people whose hearts will be so towards me, so fully trusting me, so fully fighting for me, that the whole of humanity will see the love I have? A people who will fight the good fight, fight to display the love of God to the ends of the earth because God wants all nations to find him so he chose this nation Israel now he's saying the people of God might look different but they're still the people of God and we're part of that people of God will you choose to not bend the knee to all the gods that surround us will you choose to be willing to be battle ready that when the fight comes you say I know what it is to defeat the enemy I know what the enemy looks like I know the enemy's tactics I dealt with that in the last battle come on God we can do this church we can be heroes when we decide we're not going to be we're going to be the people that God is looking for we are going to fight to shine his love in the world to trust him when everything says don't to be the people who reveal that God longs that none should perish to be the ones who are not going to bend the knee to the gods that surround us, but display the love of the living God. That's when we can be heroes. And for some in this room, the battles you face are battles there for you to display the glory of God. Church, can we stand?